This is a Carveline production. Joining us today on the Red Bucket is Dr. Marcus Faustin of Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. In our discussion with Dr. Faustin, we look forward to the future of the coatings industry. We examine the various renewable raw materials that could impact our industry, what they are, why we choose them, and how they are used. All of that and more next on the red bucket welcome to another edition of the red bucket podcast hey paul how's it going man it's going really well jack uh we're, we're on the road this is the first time we told you guys that this red bucket podcast was going to be different so we wanted to get out we wanted to meet people within the industry so funny story about our next guest one he is uh my neighbor he's a good friend marcus faustin how's it going marcus he's going pretty good so marcus is an associate professor of chemical engineering here at washington university in st louis and i knew that when i met marcus we met in the middle of the pandemic and we became good good friends uh good buddies on the weekend that do things that dudes do on the weekend and things like that but because you could only spend time with your neighbors right yeah go anywhere no (laughs) But the funniest thing about me and Marcus is probably about a year after I knew him, we finally figured out what he actually does with his chemical engineering at he probably, Wash U. He, he probably <laughs> talks over your head on most of those topics. Right, huh? but it was like, wait a minute, you do stuff that's similar to what I do? <laughs> well, well, actually, no one really knows. My, even my mom doesn't know what I do. Really, yeah, so. right. Yeah, jo- join that club. That's We have that same conversation at home, too. Uh, so one of the things that Marcus specializes in is, is some renewable, uh, technology within the chemical world. And we're going to get to that. But first I wanted to give Marcus an opportunity to talk about Washington university and the chemical engineering department here at WashU. Yeah. Um, so we actually, the department's actually, um, called the energy environmental and chemical engineering department, right? So we study a lot of things that are would be traditionally thought of as either environmental uh, engineering or chemical engineering with applications in energy sciences. Um, we have about 22 tenure-track faculty. That means they do research, they teach classes, um, and we study everything from we have people who do synthetic biology, which is uh, genetic engineering of, of microbes to say to make materials and chemicals. So you're growing humans back there? No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, well, we, we do. <laughs> they grow parts, maybe. Parts, yeah. Well, we do try to grow scaffolds, let's say, for yeah. how you might, let's say, make in the next generation uh, or, or organ, let's say. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Nice. Artificial yeah. organ, right? Um, and to people who, let's say, think about uh, the atmosphere, right? Um, a lot of pollution is what we would call aerosol-based, which is just a, a, a suspension of a solid or a liquid in a gas. Um, and that's what basically pollution is, right? And so yeah. we have people who understand the physics of that, they understand the chemistry of that, um, and then apply that to, like, understanding, let's say, um, what happens if you have a forest fire you know, what is the, uh, the downstream, um, you know, effects of that. Yeah. Nice. Absolutely. And there's, I mean, it's really interesting. You know, one of the things that we wanted to do with this episode is get into academia and, and talk to the, the people who are leading the edge of, of research and things like that in the area. So one of the things, you know, that I think is interesting is 
this concept of renewables when it comes to coatings. So, you know, a lot of the times, I mean, I think about it, everything that's in a coating, it, it's hard to say green. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just going to be honest here, it, it, you know, and, and, and a lot of times green coatings come with an asterisk almost like, well, this is more green than that. But the, the research and, and what's going on in, in academia right now is really interesting with what, what's happening with these raw materials. So let's talk a little bit, Marcus, about being green from like a chemistry point of view. Like people think about recycling, people think about those kind of things that are, are, are nature, human nature. But when we talk about being green in a chemical way or even in a, in a coatings way, what, what are we talking about? Yeah, I mean, so at least, you know, for me and when we do it in our lab, right, I can maybe start there is that right. we, we think a little bit about um, the kind of carbon footprint that that um, a material might have or a chemical that we're producing might have, right? So a lot of people think about going towards green or renewables um, because fossil fuels are a non-renewable resource right, that will eventually run out. And, and, and even though this is true, the, the horizon on that is really, really far out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so we think a lot more about kind of the direct implications of, of using non-renewable carbon on, on the Earth's atmosphere, right? So releasing um, CO2 into the, the Earth and how that might affect um, uh, global warming, for instance. Um, we also focus a little bit about, you know, a lot of the materials that we make, in particular plastics that come from petroleum. Um, these are designed to be super stable materials. They're designed <laughs> to, to, you know, protect things that we wrap it in. But it also means that it, it, it won't biodegrade very easily. Yeah, right? water bottle will sit on the shelf for a long time. Correct, correct. <laughs> yeah, they right. did. I mean, they over-engineered it kind of, yes. right? Like yep. plastic does what it's supposed to do. It just right. does it really well for a really long time. Yep. Well, I mean, you could, you could argue that it was engineered to do what it's supposed to do, and that's and it's not necessarily engineered to be a good waste, right? Right, because um, everybody would be pretty upset if all of a sudden the water started leaking on the shelves in the grocery store. Correct. Yeah. Correct, right? And so we also think of a lot about the types of pollution that come from those types of materials. Uh, let's say um, there's some information that just basically says uh, if we don't do anything about the way we produce uh, plastics and utilize plastics, by the year 2050, there'll be more plastics in the ocean than fish. So, <laughs> I mean, I like fish better than I like the plastics. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, that is kind of a, a, a staggering uh, characteristics because, you know, even as humans, and we don't really need to go far down this road, but it seems like if we use it, it ends up in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, right. Or, or um, you know, there's a lot of evidence now that is plastics, even though they don't they totally degrade, they break down to really, really small, smaller and smaller particles. Mm -hmm. And it's very likely that, that most humans now are, are filled with like what they would basically call nanoplastics, right? Yeah. But, so, yeah. Yeah, I read one of those articles and immediately regretted that decision. Uh, <laughs> it was one of those things where I was like, oh, neat. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, can, you can definitely uh, bum yourself out, right? But the good news is that um, uh, a lot of research, particularly in the academic space, is going into how do we think about like, moving away from these non-renewable resources? Um, and in actuality, we've done a really, really great job with electricity and power, right? Right, so, yeah. So, um, you know, solar, wind, you know, we've made some really, really, like, big headwinds. Like, there are actually... Mm -hmm. Um, industries now that are that are fairly mature and can can exist on their own without a tremendous amount of, of support 
uh, from the government, even though I think they do still get a lot of uh, subsidy for that. So. Yeah, they just, uh, for renewables, did just get a major subsidy. And uh, I think the United States just committed to tripling its um, number of wind towers by 2030. Yeah. So, oh. so, you I know... Mean, I- that's fast. Yeah. That's really fast. I, I, they still need to be made. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, no. that's 2030 is no, only seven the, years away. The order is in. That gives us a good starting point for the green conversation because I'm sure, you know, if I was just sitting here listening to this in my car or whatever, I'd be going, but yeah, but what does this have to do with coatings? Right. And so one of the things that we talk about, and, and we'll kind of talk about this here too, is the traditional way that we have spun how coatings can be green. There's, there's, there's two ways. One is a reduction in, in VOCs and solvents that are used in the coatings. That is truly uh, getting rid of some of that like fossil fuel type stuff that I, that you talked about, right, Marcus, you know, just using less of it. That's where we, we started as, as an industry. And it's also very U S centric. The rest of the world is not driven by VOCs the way we are here. So it's only part of the problem. Yeah. So since this is only part of the answer, we need another approach. We need something else that's going to help bring us full circle into something that's more renewable, more environmentally friendly, more, can we say, just green. And that's where we have to look at what kind of different ingredients, what kind of raw materials, what kind of feedstocks can we use instead of petroleum-based feedstocks what can we use to help bring us into a more environmentally friendly coding system? Right. That's exactly what my lab focuses on. So we think a lot about using plant material, essentially biomass, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, you know, if we think about it, nature's already engineered a plant to, to, to suck sunlight in as, as energy, even though photosynthesis is not super efficient. Um, and then it also can pull in uh, carbon and build itself from the CO2 in the environment. And so, and it happens everywhere. Nature's yeah. already really yep. good at it. You know, billions of tons annually biomass is generated, whether that's for food or, or for, for forestry products or, or just something that's just out there in nature, you know, it's just a lot of it um, out there. And so as a feedstock, um, it's, it's available. Right. Right. And, uh, so then the challenge is like, how do we then, you know, first, um, uh, understand what those, those resources are and how we do, we convert them into either products that, that replace the types of products that we get from petroleum mm-hmm. or, or have even more of a, a performance a, a advantage. Right. That's right. Vegetable based feedstocks aren't necessarily, uh, totally foreign to the coatings world. Lin- linseed oil has been used for since generations. my grandpappy was yeah. painting things. So let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the research here and some of the things that are being done. Uh, so like I said, linseed oil, but vegetable oils are look, being looked at very heavily for use in coatings. Yes. Um, so uh, vegetable oils are essentially uh, uh, triglycerides, right? Um, and this is the kind of stuff that, you know, let's say you are taking your, your vegetable oil and, and you wanted to make, let's say, biodiesel. Right. Okay. You take that material um, and you treat it, and that's how you make biodiesel. And, uh, a byproduct of that would be glycerol, right? Okay. Yep. And so these components of the vegetable oil, whether it had, you know, whether the specific structure of it is a triacylglyceride or it's a diglyceride or whatever, that's uh, three or two. 
three. It, right, right, right. And they also have mono. As okay, well, right? singular. Okay, right, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So whether, that's the extent of your Latin. Is that <laughs> that's that's or, my chemistry. That's all I got. <laughs> well, that's actually pretty good, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, 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 despite the specific structure of these, um, the vegetable oil. You can deconstruct these. You can control the the type of of chain structures that you um, whether they have um, saturations or unsaturations. You know, if mm-hmm. you think about butter, right? Like mm-hmm. saturated fats versus unsaturated fats. These are all the same chemistries that we're thinking about that go into um, that we leverage um, to to build handles to put things on or take things off. Um, of these vegetable oils and make the, and modify them so that they can be used uh, for coatings, essentially. That's one of the things that I found really interesting is that it seems like this is, we're, we're figuring out not only renewable stuff, but I think you said something in there about uh, when you turn it into biodiesel, there was a, a byproduct and you're looking at that byproduct that probably otherwise would be waste, right? Right, right. So, I mean, you know, I think the things that we do is we think about renewable feedstocks and then we also think about waste feedstocks. Right. So another potential source would be uh, plastics themselves. Um, So we take a lot of waste plastics and we also think about breaking those down and then modifying those and turning those in materials. Um, Now, not explicitly into coatings, um, but a coating is 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 just a polymer. Yeah, it's just a polymer. Plastic Um, adjacent. Right. It's plastic adjacent. Um, My background actually is in polymer chemistry and um, polymer science. Right. And so Mm. a lot of times, you know, a lot of the things that we're thinking about to say to make a a material to replace an adhesive or replace a plastic bag, you know, those can be transported over and and applied to coatings. Sure. I think one of the things that you said, Marcus, that really stuck out was you're looking for handles that you can stick things on. And I think that's a great way to look at it is we don't need to actually replace the entire thing. We're looking at parts and how can we make the parts fit together differently? And if you go back to the previous generation of our podcast, you know, we had a lot where we talked about the science and how you have to unwrap the molecules. And we're looking to, you know, when we catalyze it or when we put in the part B's and it's literally just letting things go together the way they want to. And by changing some of the parts, we're not really changing much in how the film comes together or how the film can be used. We're changing how do we get to that? How are we carrying it from the liquid state in the bucket to the cured state on the wall or on the tank or whatever it is we're doing? What can we do to make those processes more friendly, more environmentally safe, more renewable? Right. And and that, that handle analogy is a really great one. I hadn't heard it put that way before, but that's a that stuck out in my mind. You know, and and the and the truth is, is that in the lab that we that we're working in, there's a lot of really cool things that that, that are going on. You can read a number of scientific reviews that cover. No, I've you know, I've tried to. No, you can't. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, uh, at least my, my I I try to get my students to do this. There right you know. again, right. here's <laughs> here's your Red Bucket Podcast PSA. If you suffer from insomnia, go ahead and Google any kind of sciency journal article. You will not make it through the end. This is my five star guarantee. You will fall asleep before you make it to the end of that thing. And, and I guess, you know, if you read these journals, there's a lot of really cool research that's been going on. And, and people, again, are, are understanding what are the handles that we have in yeah. biomass? Um, what are the ways we can convert, let's say, a plant material, whether it's vegetable oil or cellulose or, or yeah. other parts of the plant? Um, how can we convert those into um, uh, smaller materials? Because those are already polymers. How we can get, convert those into smaller materials that have the right handles, let's say, for something yeah. like a coatings? Um, and then 
but and a lot of that that science has actually been explored. Um, but the real question is then how would you do this on a really large scale? And that's the challenge that um, you know my lab tries to think about, right? You know, like if we could come up with a really interesting way of doing this, let's say um, in you know for a gram scale. Um, how do we think about technologies that can be, let's say, something that Carboline is interested in, in in 20 years or 30 years? Right. Well, I remember the first time you told me about what you did. And, and you know, we were kind of leading up to that because you're a specialist in, in one of these renewables that we, we haven't even brought up yet. But I remember standing on your back deck and you were telling me about it. And I got real excited. I was like, oh, yes, let's do this. Let's let's. Renewable, I'm in, product line manager, marketing brain. I'm like, I can sell this. You can make it. Let's go. And he's like, hold on. Time out. <laughs> then he said the magic words, commercially viable. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so there, there, that is our challenge, right, as, as a coatings company is to figure out how to take the work of experts like Marcus in academia and work with them to figure out how to right. make these kind of concepts uh, commercially viable. So I think I, I let the cat out of the bag. Let's talk a little bit about lignin. What is that, Marcus? All right. So let's think about a tree, for example. When that tree, uh, when we cut down that tree, and let's say we're making paper. Okay. The paper is cellulose, right? Okay. And that's, you know, the same material that we might think of as a cotton, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and when we break down cellulose, we're generating glucose, a part of a sugar that we most people that most people eat. So we we table sugar is sucrose, and part yeah. of sucrose is I store it. It's <laughs> glucose, right? <laughs> so that's the major component of let's say wood. Um, but the other okay. component is uh, is a lignin, and that's the brownish material that they take out. Uh, it has this brownish color that they take out when they're making paper. Right. And I also think of uh, the cellulose actually makes kind of fibers in the wood. Okay. Right. And then this, the, the lignin kind of goes around, around that. It wraps around that. Okay. It kind of has the glue that kind of holds those fibers together. So I always try to make the analogy that cellulose is like the rebar. And lignin is like the concrete. <laughs> okay, okay, that's, and, a, that's a great analogy, and that's yeah. something that our our listeners, our listeners can understand can totally understand. Yeah. So, what's kind of special about the lignin, and, and where can we use that in coatings? You know, there's been some research, and, and it seems like they've kind of honed in on one area for that. Well, so the the old adage about lignin in the lignin field is that you can make anything from lignin except for money. So, <laughs> well, on that note, this has been okay. a great podcast. We'll see you guys later. Uh, join us next week. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Uh, well, like it's actually, um, you know, uh, wood, wood products. This is something that people have been studying for a very, very long time. Um, and the lignin is also something that people really want to try to figure out how to utilize. Because let's say we're, we're making paper. We know how to make paper. We've been doing it for a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, and we pull out the lignin. We essentially just burn it on yeah. site to, for a process heat, electrical, like a local electrical production. Um, so it's not totally waste, but it's inefficient fuel for energy. Well, I mean, so, I mean, uh, if, if we come up with something to uh, that, that we want to do something other than that, with that lignin, then just burn it. It needs to have more value than, say, natural gas, right? Sure, yeah. So, um, so it has, it's not, does it, it is not that it doesn't have any value, but, um, but, you know, it's, sure. it's, it's minimized with all the, the effort that goes into, let's say, growing a plant, you know, grinding it, taking it to somewhere to be processed. We really wanted to get more value out of that. Right. Um, but the, the problem with the lignin is it was literally designed by nature over millions of years to protect the plant. 
right? It gives right. the plant the structural rigidity. It protects the cellulose, which a lot of, uh, like I say, microorganisms, okay. um, they they live off the glucose that comes from the, the cellulose, right? Right, right. Um, right. You know, just a natural, like, carbon cycle relies heavily on, on, on cellulose plants falling and then the cellulose going to the sea flu, uh, going to the, the forest floor and then a number of, of organisms, you know, using that for a carbon okay. source and okay. energy source. Okay. Right. So there needed to be something that kept just everything from eating that plant just while yeah. it was growing. Right. And so it was designed to, to protect that, that plant uh, from a, abiotic um, stresses like the environment and then from biotic. Um, and so, the design of it is such that there is a lot of value, potential value in there, but it is very, very difficult for us to extract that value and put it into a specific form or in a consistent form for applications and things like coatings. But that's a lot of what you do, right? Is try to solve that puzzle. I, I, I work on part of that, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what, you know, we think a lot about like how one, we understand how this, the structure of this lignin. So we think uh, we do a lot of characterization of, of plant material and the lignin that we extract out as a function of different um, other processes. So the type of process or pulping mm-hmm. process that people use to make paper is going to generate a different type of lignin than let's say if I was um, doing some type of pretreatment for uh, bioethanol production. So I might want to take um, a, wood, a woody material, break it down, and then feed the glucose in the cellulose to a, a microorganism to make ethanol or some type of fermentative product. Well, we're going to do a slightly different type of, of treatment to, to the wood, right? And so there's a lot of variation that happens because of nature. And then there's a lot of variation that happens because of the, the processes that we use to try to extract the lignin. So we try to understand those and then we try to understand what happens to the lignin as we apply different processes to try to break it down. And then eventually think about what are the best places that we plug that lignin into. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the places that people have really been thinking about is fire retardants. Right. Yeah, I was reading about this. Yes. So, you know, and a lot of times in a fire retardant coating, you're just trying to leverage um, some type of charring capability mm-hmm. of the coating itself. Right. And yeah. So- let me just give the, our quick little dissertation on that. So they use the term into mess, right? When we talk about charring and, and we've said it before, if you've listened to a different version of this podcast in the past, uh, think about the snakes, uh, the little fireworks that you get when you're a kid, you like that little black hockey puck on fire. It grows into a little bitty snake. Uh, I always love telling this story because it usually makes the chemist really frustrated because it's an oversimplification <laughs> of a very, uh, of a very difficult uh, process. But that is the same similar thing. You know, when we talk about charring, we're talking about the the protection or, or the growth of the individual product that gives extra protection to the steel. So right. back, back to that. And so biomass in particular, um, um, lignin, has kind of a really specific kind of thermal degradation profile that allows it to be useful as a fire retardant. So it wouldn't be useful purely by itself but in combination with um, some other type of matrix, mm-hmm. um, it can become a useful additive just purely by itself. Um, we can do certain things, chemically breaking down the lignin, adding certain types of functionality to the lignin itself to further increase its, its usefulness in, in, let's say, a fire retardant. So is this somewhat related, like have you found differences in the types, the sources? You know, we talked a little bit of the different types of biomass and the diversity. I know this seems similar, you know, a year or so ago, I was in 
uh, Northern California. We went through the Redwoods and the Sequoias and they were telling us about how the trees protect themselves in these forest fires. Is this some of the same thing? They have a different lignin that's helping to protect them a little bit possibly or... I mean, the the overall characteristic that, that we're leveraging, let's say, in a fire retardant is the same kind of characteristic that you see that that, that essentially trees are deployed, right? Just right. The, the presence of the lignin itself can be really useful in protecting some of those outer layers of, of the wood, so uh, uh, in, a, in a growing tree, right? And so um, these are, this is kind of a similar phenomena, and the, the question about, like, source is actually a really important one, Right. So um, this is, again, one of the challenges to, to utilizing biomass in general is that, you know, you can see variations in lignin depending on the species yeah. of plant. Um, but let's say we have some genetic clones of each other, two plants, so we can have actually genetic clones. That's actually fairly easy to do. Yeah, sure. And you grow them right next to each other, and I strike the lignin, and I will see differences in the lignin. <laughs> right. So there's little biochemical huh. control to the polymerization of lignin in the cell wall. It's actually statistically controlled, much like, let's say, a, a, a polymer that we might be polymerizing in a reactor, you know, in a plant somewhere. And so there's a lot of variation that just happens from plant to plant. And the question is, how does that affect you know, downstream performance, um, you know, and in my lab, we may not care about a change of, of 2% or 3%. Right. But if you're, you're making, you know, a product that you want to sell uh, across the country and you're making, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of tons of this, um, a 2%, 3% variance um, just because of source is going to be Could a be huge. huge. Yeah. yeah. People yeah. are willing to uh, pay for green, yeah. but they aren't willing to give up performance for green. Yes. Right. That is an interesting factor that you put there because it's absolutely true. Yeah, right. and I, and 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 that totally makes sense, right? It's, and so, like, they're only they're only willing to pay so much for it as well. Um, and look, we have to be quite honest that the competing kind of uh, source of many coatings or even like let's say chemicals, this comes from petroleum, and we know how to use petroleum really, really well. Yeah. We know how to produce products cheap. We know how to produce them at scale. Right. And um, so there's so there's a there's a real challenge to, to bringing in an immature technology against something as su- successful and, and efficient yeah. as and mature. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and ingrained like it is it is everywhere. Everything that we make almost has some kind of fossil right. fuel tie. And it's all um, regulated. Most of these things are regulated. Yep. They have to go through governmental review. Right. And like, so there is a, there's a sociology to that as well. Right. Which is to say like, I trust this product. It's been regulated. It's been well tested. And unless you go through the same process, which might take five years, um, I don't want to use this product. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. And I think there's no better example of the uh, performance versus uh, cost is the, um, the water bottle itself. Everybody knows that the single use water bottle is bad for the planet and is going to end up in the ocean. And this is not even really all that debatable right. yet. People like millions and millions and millions, probably billions of water bottles are sold every day in the United States because it's convenient. And and to be honest, you can walk through any amusement park or kids play park or community center, and there is going to be three different types of recycling cans next to each other. And inevitably, the trash can is going to end up with plastic bottles or metal cans that could have been recycled that aren't. So the cost barrier is not high. It is sometimes the cost of one extra step. 
Right. I can recycle it 10 steps over there, but the trash can's right here. Right here. Kind of thing. It's going yeah. in the trash. So before we completely wrap up, too, you, you brought up cellulose, and I was in some of the documents you provided to us, I read that they're they're trying to use that, too, uh, in coatings is, is, is some cellulose as well. Right, yeah. So we actually use uh, cellulose in our lab, and we do a lot of different things with how you may blend the cellulose with different materials, and okay. it can modify properties. I mean, we primarily try to use uh, cellulose to modify mechanical properties, so you can uh, you can kind of etch away at the cellulose until you get like almost single crystals of cellulose, um, which means essentially we have a it's essentially a perfect crystal and it's really strong, but they're really small, mm-hmm. right? But we composite these with other uh, materials and we can manipulate the mechanical properties, but you can also manipulate thermal properties, in particular thermal degradation uh, uh, properties and behavior, and and so you can imagine. Um, the, these types of materials being useful in, an, in a range of different coatings to manipulate thermal properties, to manipulate um, mechanical properties of those coatings. And so our lab in particular is really, really excited about um, about this kind of aspect of things. We actually have some projects where we're thinking about how we use cellulose to, to modify adhesives. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Marcus uh, definitely does a lot of work in adhesives. And I think, you know, one last thing on this topic is, you know, Marcus, a lot of the people who listen to this thing are are, are either engineers that specify coatings, owners that have assets that, that they have the coating specified for, uh, probably some uh, even some coating scientists or, or researchers mm-hmm. uh, listen to this and, and obviously con- constructors and, and painters. Uh, if, if you had one thing to say them uh, to them about the use of renewables and the coatings, what, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the reality is that this is a fairly immature technology, right? But for uh, for people on the academic side to really understand the needs of the industry, to be able to start to think about, like, even if it's a 20-year landscape of how we develop things um, and develop um, basic science that are going to be really deployable in industry, you know, you know, making that connection um, with uh, the academic institution, I think that brings value, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I understand the, the the landscape of needing uh, to show profit and to be able to be profitable, and not wanting to put a lot of money towards something that is is a is a high risk activity, right? Um, but even if it's just um, you know. Um, interactions with graduate students, PhD students, if even if it's just trying to understand what your in-use needs are, I think these kinds of interactions are super, super valuable. And so I would encourage everybody, you know, that that has interest in, in, in understanding these types of greener technologies and these greener products, you know, to, to try to make a connection with academia. This is, this is really the R portion of R&D. The yeah, research, the, the research portion, yeah, yeah, and it takes time. It doesn't happen immediately, and and in most cases, stuff that we work with, people still want to see years of performance testing. Well, you got to start somewhere, and it's going to take years of research to get that product ready to be able to put into something that will then again take years of testing. Right, right, yeah. So th- I think that. We've covered that pretty well, and and we're going to wrap up here with Marcus. We have, you know, as we told you, we we want to introduce you to people more than just concepts. So concepts and people. So we have four questions that we ask everybody who comes on the show. Uh, but the first thing, Marcus, what what's a hobby of yours? Yeah. So you know, 
uh, during the pandemic, my wife allowed me to make a nice purchase, which was a, a, a Traeger like, uh, yeah, smoker, yeah, so it's no. a wood pellet smoker. Um, and so, you know, going out and grilling and smoking has, has become a little bit of a hobby of mine. I've, I've actually pulled Jack into this or Jack was already kind of doing it. I, yeah, see yep. was, I see him a couple of yards over like on his <laughs> green egg and I, and so I'm like, Hey neighbor. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, if you need a, a pig roasted, the Marcus and Jack barbecue team is, 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 is I've heard here about for this. you. Yeah. 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 So I know all the contenders for this next answer, but I'm interested to see which one's actually going to win out. Do you want to ask this question, Paul? Are are we talking about the the, the sports, sports ball, ball team? team? Yeah, yeah. So so sports fan. I'm assuming you know Jack. Fan, yeah. So you're probably a sports fan too. What's your favorite team sport? Well, the favorite sport is uh, football, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? I knew that. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure which team you're going to pick here. Oh, I'm, I should know, but oh, I'm all I'm all out for. So I went to Georgia Tech. Right, this oh. is my this is a the school that I went to. I I did a undergrad there. I did my PhD there. I worked there for a while, so 14 years there. Yeah, I went to um, every home game from '98 to uh, 2012. Dang. Um, and went through some good seasons and some bad seasons. Got that triple option going. You got the triple <laughs> option going. So that's that's my team, uh, the Georgia Tech uh, Yellow Jackets. Um, and yeah, hey, I'm a, I'm a glutton for punishment, um, but uh, they're going to win a national championship uh, before I kick the bucket. Totally. Georgia, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, well, so this is the thing. Like, you know, so Georgia just won. And I normally was like, you know, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm going to root for Georgia. You know, they're in state, though. So I'm like, right. okay, I'm not going to make a big deal about it but i've always enjoyed the fact that um georgia tech had won a national championship in 90 and georgia hadn't won one since you know the 70s or whatever right, right? too late and yeah. so now that's changed and and uh, and now i have to like actively root against them <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i didn't know if the falcons were going to squeak in i was pretty sure it was georgia tech but i didn't know all right so in the spirit of uh, some say would some would say baseball some would say wrestling. What's your walk-up music? My walk-up music. Like you're coming into the ring, you're coming up to bat. What what music are they playing in the stadium? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's easy. So, I'm again, I'm from Atlanta, and so I'm a huge Outkast fan. Okay. Right? ATLians, yep. if you're familiar yep. with yep. that, right? And yep. so, you know, I personally have tried to now get my 18-month-old to kind of kind of learn a little bit about the, the music that I like. There you go. And uh, the first CD I played was uh, AT Aliens. That's <laughs> great. And you need to start that soon because I've lost that battle. My See, wife has turned my seven-year-old into a, a pop kid. See, and I won that battle because although my son doesn't, he's 23 now, but he doesn't listen to the same music as me all the time. He came up with Metallica. And then the last one. What's your favorite movie? Got a oh. one line, you got a movie line or a favorite. You'll sit down and watch anytime it's playing. Oh man, you know. Uh, so again, you know, I hate that it's all like this, basically the same thing. That's but. okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what <laughs> people want to know. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge, you know, like football movie fan. Oh, you're uh, going there, aren't you? Well, so um, you know, we would watch a lot of Rudy. Okay. Remember the Titans? Yeah. Um, but uh, oh man, it's, it's, it's escaping my head right now. Um, the program. Yeah. Oh. This program. is one of the reasons that I knew Marcus and I were going to be lifelong friends. We're sitting around a fire and he quotes the program, which is also one of my favorite movies. That is a little known football movie from the nineties that if you've seen it and you played football, you love it. And he said one of the quotes and I looked at him, I was like, 
you know the program. <laughs> so yeah, the program is 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 that's that's just one of the best football movies. Uh, we would play it before every uh, game. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. We play, They had this uh, scene where they were playing bull in the ring, which yeah. I don't think you can do anymore in football. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. You're not allowed to. You can't do yeah, that. I don't, I don't think you can do that anymore. And it was just you would just you would just get so excited, and you'd be like, okay, I can do that. <laughs> time to go. <laughs> time to go. So anyway, that's great. Uh, Marcus, as always, it's great to talk to you. Uh, one of my best friends in life. Uh, thanks for coming on and seeing what I do here for Carboline. Oh, man, this was fun. I really appreciate the invite. Yeah, it was nice talking with you. Great to great to get an insight on a different side of the industry and, and meet somebody new who's doing some, some real cutting-edge stuff and some down-and-dirty research to help move us forward. Well, well, um, we we have a lot of fun doing research, and I hope I didn't completely ruin the, the, your, your podcast. So. <laughs> uh, no, man, no. no. Uh, here comes your tech tip for this episode. You have questions, they have answers. This is Tech Tips. Hi, this is Chris with Carboline. Uh, my tech tip for the day is when specifying fireproofing, make sure that other sections of the spec don't interfere. Sometimes primers might be under a different section and that can affect how the fireproofing is applied. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you the next time on The Red Bucket.